starting now. Welcome to another edition in our podcast series. And today I have with me Jesse Eves, the Senior Director of Peacebuilding at Humanity United. Welcome, Jesse. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Great, great, great. You know, so Humanity United is one of my favorite organizations. I just think you're so dynamic in the way you operate. Um, you're a grant making and direct impact organization, and you're dedicated to peace building and advancing human freedom. Um, you are US based, but I know that you do significant work on the African continent, which I find very exciting. So can you share with us what informed this vision for Africa at HU? Well, thank you so much. And, and yeah, your words are, are too kind. It, 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 it definitely has been a, uh, an exciting, if not fraught journey from when we were first founded. And you know, our, our work when we were founded uh, in, in 2005, you know, it originally was really focused on, on Africa, specifically uh, in response to what was happening in Darfur. And as a result of that initial exploration and that, and that initial and intense body of work, uh, you know, it was really trying to seek justice on behalf of, of, of victims and survivors of, of genocide. Uh, but we found that that approach was, was unintentionally leaving out the voices of those who are most impacted uh, to really make sure that, that we as a, as a Western donor were asking, what does justice look like for you? Like, what do you actually want to, want to see? And so I, when you talk about what informs our vision now, it's the people we work with and, and the issues that we currently address uh, inform the work we do in Africa and, and elsewhere in the world. But it's all about those that are closest to the context, those that are closest to the work who really shape uh, our vision. Great. Awesome. Um, thank you for for sharing that. And I think one of the, what grabbed me about Humanity United is that you're a pioneer in the systems change space. I am new to the space. I, I recently got initiated. I started learning more about it, I think in 2019. Um, and I also had the wonderful opportunity to interact with Randy Newcomb. Um, who was with HU and his, has gone back to um, Omedia Network now, who started sharing about you know, your work in this space and your focus on systems change, which is a hot topic around the world now. Mm -hmm. So how, how do you support and build efforts to transform systems in Africa? And do you have any tangible examples of success that you can share with us? Yes, well, I... I don't know if we were a pioneer, but we definitely got our hands dirty uh, early on in this space as we were trying to figure out. It started from an exploration of, of you know, how do we really judge the impact that we're having? And we continue to be on a learning journey to figure out how to understand the complexity of the systems and the issues that we work in and looking at how all of these link together. Uh, so, I mean, if you look at right now, the, the we would talk about, you know, cultivating the, the conditions for enduring peace and freedom. And that really looks at kind of the intersection of human rights, peace building, uh, 
you know, locally community grounded action. And again, trying to influence the systems that, uh, that we are working in to recognize our common, our common shared humanity. And so we really seek to cultivate spaces for, you know, agency, you know, meaning we support efforts to shift and build uh, the power of individuals and communities to determine and pursue the outcomes that, that best address their needs. We seek accountable institutions. You know, we want to make sure that you know, we acknowledge we are, we are a Western donor <laughs> and we have to acknowledge our privilege and our influence and our proximity to power and use that as much as we can to you know, work through networks, to work through relationships, to make sure that key institutions are accountable and responsive to the people who are most impacted by, by human exploitation and violent conflict. And then finally, there's this recognition of shared humanity. We have to support efforts that recognize in advance that we are all connected, that we are all human, that, that there's this intrinsic dignity to all human beings. And so in particular with our, our systems work as is playing out in Africa right now, it really is about putting those that are closest to the issue or closest to the community in the driver's seat. So for example, that includes you know, when we're initially working with, uh, with a community or, or with a group of individuals, jointly creating a systems map with our partners for them and us to see the complexity that we're talking about. Like what is actually happening? What is the problem that we're facing? What is causing it? And being able to look at what are the different pathways to start to shift that system. And in the past, it was really, it was only us, you know, internally creating a systems map. We would get input from those that were closest, but at the end of the day, it was often our own tool. And we were unintentionally trying to get all of these different partners and players to do a dance to a song they didn't know they were dancing to. And, and there was no sense of kind of where's the shared goal that we all have together. So not everyone was working from the same map, not everyone was dancing to the same tune. And so as a result, we've really done a pivot to make sure that you know, those that are closest to the work are the ones that are mapping out what the issue is and what they wanna do about it and start to make a intentional pivot towards the practice of accompaniment, you know, which is really a long-term multi-year commitment to walking alongside partners that are closest to the work uh, and, you know, and walk with them in a way that reinforces their own sufficiency, their own capacity and their power uh, and the power of their own approaches to make sure that they are the ones uh, who are determining which direction they go and when do they know they're being successful. Great, well done. You know, I really like the fact that you are deliberately working with those who are proximate, you know, to the mm -hmm. issues on ground, because oftentimes we find that donors would, you know, attempted to prescribe, um, especially because I mean, in our own context, a lot of donors are coming from the um, entrepreneurial community, they're business mm -hmm. people, and you know, they they sort of feel like they have the answers and they know the best way to approach problem solving um, without necessarily engaging those on ground. So it's really good to hear that you are working closely with um, those who 
are closest to the issues because they know how best to design solutions. And then you are providing the necessary support and environment for change to happen. And so from a donor's perspective, you, I, I know you already started speaking to that. Um, can you share a bit more about the lessons you have learned supporting systems change efforts in Africa? Oh, yes. Uh, the, the lessons are many <laughs> not, not, and not all of them are positive. Uh, but I, let me let me focus in. I I, let me let me highlight three key lessons that I think have been incredibly important for us. Uh, we've learned this. We've learned these lessons from multiple different engagements, but it's been incredibly important for understanding how to how to show up in a space in which, you know, the the donor is often seen as the one you need to impress or the one you need to uh, the one you need to follow. Uh, I think the biggest one of the biggest lessons has been the need to give up control, I think, which is often one of the hardest things to do for for any for any donor for anyone in this space, you know, particularly if you're if you feel passionately about a, about a topic or a subject. You have to let those that are closest to the work define what the issue is and what they want to do about it. You know, know what you control and what you cannot control, and don't be afraid to to relinquish uh, the some of the power that you have, the control that you have. That's hard to do for philanthropy, and I think there's there's an ongoing journey that's happening across the philanthropic world uh, to try to be better at that. But if you you know, it, real change happens when people that are closest to the issue feel like they are controlling their destiny, and and sometimes it's not always clear what that destiny may be. And I think that leads us to the second point, which is being comfortable with ambiguity. You know, not everything is going to be clear at first. You, you may not have a very clear path forward. You have to, to create space for that path to develop. You have to try and fail and, you know, fail smartly. Don't, don't, share a story of failure and then punish the person that shares it, <laughs> but rather saying, okay, we tried this. This is why we thought it would work. It didn't work. Here's what we learned. Here's what we're going to do differently next time. That's, I would say, even internally at HU, that's still an ongoing, uh, an ongoing journey for us that, uh, you know, we haven't seen cases where someone's been punished for, for having failure, but people are often nervous to share a, you know, a story or an example because you know you don't know what's going to happen. You don't want to be seen right. as the one that 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 didn't achieve everything you wanted to achieve. But for those that have embraced that ambiguity, for those that have embraced trying to explore multiple paths and see what works and learn, you know, gather the insights from what worked and what didn't. Suddenly, the, the the path becomes much more clear, and there's a much clearer sense of what is the end goal, like what is the destination we're trying to achieve together. And that third key lesson is this takes time. It take, it's going to take time to get to your destination. Relationships move at the speed of trust and trust takes time to build and cultivate. And when that trust is there, you can really start to unpack what is happening within a particular system and what everyone's role can be. But it's, you know, you cannot shift a system on a one-year grant cycle. I think that's a lesson that <laughs> philanthropies are continuing to learn the hard way. You want to see change quickly. You get excited about something. You get, you get passionate about the work you're doing and you want change to happen very quickly. But I think we particularly see this in the cases of, of uh, 
violent conflicts where where we have partners that are engaging it often takes as long to get out of that conflict as it took to get into it so you have to give it the time to unfold so giving up control being comfortable with ambiguity and giving the work the time it needs to succeed uh, has been some of the critical lessons we've learned as we support systems change thank you so much jesse there's so much you said in that i feel like we can unpack all three points um i i love the concept of failing smartly you know um you know just not failing but being taking the lessons um, and learning and making sure the people you are working with are comfortable sharing um, you know, the challenges so that they can improve um, moving forward. And I think the fact that you, the last point that you touched on, which is time, the concept of time, the idea that change takes time and um, the fact that philanthropists are beginning to learn that it's one funding cycle is not going to solve a problem that has been in existence for decades mm -hmm. um, and that makes me you know it makes me think about one of the favorite words in in development which is impact uh -huh. um, so how do you how do you track impact given the long-term nature of systems change work you know how knowing that this is going to take a really long time how do you track impact how do you work with um, your grantees or your partners you know to to ensure that they you know you're all on the same page when it comes to impact and understanding that it's a journey um yes it, it will take time but you need to track what is happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I honestly think the whole notion of impact has been shifting beneath our feet, and it's long overdue. Uh, you know that we've really found it's time to move away from what a donor or an outside organization thinks is impact, and instead move to what change looks like for those that are closest to the issue. So things like uh, the grounded accountability model or everyday peace indicators, you know, things that are premised on following where those closest to the issue want to go, you know, that you can't name, you know, we as Humanity United cannot name what peace looks like in South Sudan or in Mali or, or in Colombia, you know, that's up to those that live there every day. They have to name what peace looks like for them. And and then they determined the path forward on, on how to get there. Uh, and so I think one thing that's been useful for us is focusing on the relationships and networks that form as a result of the work. You know, so to that end, tools like social network analysis have, have been incredibly useful to help visualize the spread of relationships and ideas uh, that, can, that can shift a system over time. And you know, one of the things, I mean, one final thought is, you know, often wrapped up with the notion of impact is this notion of scale, <laughs> uh, that we have to achieve things at scale. And I think yeah. we need to move, it's, it's time to move away from that notion. I think it's what we're starting to see throughout our work and, and with other philanthropies have, have voiced this as well, that it's time to start thinking about the fractal nature of systems. And what I mean about that is, is that there are dynamics, power dynamics that are replicated both at a transnational regional level and they're replicated at the smallest community level. 
you see the same things play out. So you can impact an international system by the work you do in your own community, especially if others start copying or, or modeling that behavior. And particularly if it's behavior that's different from what the system expects. And I think a common thread we've been seeing is this notion of uh, what academics are calling translocal networks, you know, just connections of people crossing boundaries, often outside of the purview of donors or international NGOs who, you know, these are individuals or, or groups that, you know, come around a common issue and they share their own experience and they build their own solidarity and knowledge and wisdom. And these are often the people who could never get a visa to attend an international conference, or they don't get invited to any number of the webinars and conferences that focuses on localization. Rather, you know, they, they connect together and share their own ideas, often without anyone knowing. And putting those networks at the forefront allows multiple levels of any system to come into play. So you don't have to worry about necessarily scaling up a, a piece of work, particularly if even if it's at a very local level, if the avenues, if the opportunities are there for the people at that, at that level to share beyond their own community, we've been pleasantly surprised at how quickly that starts to spread and, and how multiple paths open up for a larger collection of actors to have solidarity together and increase uh, the focus on, on tackling the negative dynamics that they may see replicated across an entire system. So sorry, I went on a little bit of a tangent there, but I think it's really, it's very difficult to separate the whole notion of impact with this notion of scale that philanthropy often gets obsessed with. Right, awesome. No, you didn't go off tangent at all. And you know, it's, it's very interesting because you're touching on points that were raised during the systems change session we had at the second Africa Philanthropy Forum conference. You know, we talked about the obsession with scale, the obsession with the impact. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's great to hear uh, that donors are beginning to look at these and understand that we can continue to look at the impact and scale the way we always have. And mm -hmm. I two, two things that you touched on that really um, spoke to me. One is you can define change for the people who are going through the issues. They define change themselves. And the other is putting what those I would call unusual suspects at the forefront um, and spotlighting them and giving them a voice at the table. Um, I think that's awesome and well done to hate you for doing that. So I'll move on to another question, which is really around the common threads you are seeing, because I know that you engage with a lot of change leaders and you're working in, in some of the most difficult regions in the world um, to get to, to walk in, um, but you've, you've come in contact with some amazing change orchestrators, change leaders, problem solvers. What common threads are you seeing? in these individuals who have leveraged systems thinking to change their, their systems or change their environment? Mm. Well, I mean, I would, I, I think that gets to what I was just talking about in terms of um, challenging the notion of, of being at scale. I think I, we're seeing that consistently with 
you know, I would say you can say change leaders that are interacting at an international level and those who are deeply impacting their community who no one else knows about. <laughs> um, and, you know, they are looking holistically at, at what is happening in, in the system they are trying to change. And it doesn't matter if it's, if it's, you know, a small geographical area or a, you know, multi multinational system say like uh uh illegal fishing that happens in in southeast asia right like that that they are thinking about what are the dynamics that that we are tackling and and what is it that we're actually trying to change and what what do we actually have control over and i think you're seeing a lot more introspection now about what is it <laughs> that that we can actually accomplish and again going back to this notion of time how much time is it going to need and are we prepared to are we prepared to commit to the time frame and that that system change can can take and i think one of the things that's popping up throughout multiple philanthropies is this notion of, you're hearing this talked about a lot, but it's this whole notion of trust-based philanthropy, uh, which really premises itself on kind of six key principles, which are about you know, multi-year unrestricted funding, uh, doing the homework for prospective grantees, you know, save them the time that often takes in the early stages of vetting that like, you need to be the one that's, that's, that's doing the work and, and building the relationships. Really, going to great pains to simplify and streamline the paperwork that you are asking uh, you're asking potential grantees to to fill out um, and being transparent and responsive you know saying you know giving yourself very clear timelines for when you respond if a grantee asks you a question or sends you an email don't just let it sit in your inbox you know just have, make sure that you are responding in a timely manner and be transparent about you know what funding is available? How long is it going to be available? What are the other tools that you can offer? I think that's the other thing philanthropies and, and grantees often forget. It can sometimes be beyond the check. For example, uh, we have found you know, in, the, in the US context, you know, the US uh, philanthropic law is, is, somewhat, is very complicated and I barely understand it at times, but one of the things that has been a hindrance for us supporting those that are closest to the work is that most nonprofits or any nonprofit that we support has to be considered a, a public charity or has to be the equivalent of a US public charity. And so there's a process called equivalency determination, which can allow a foundation to uh, support a very, you know, a, a, a community based organization that only works in one community, but, you know, maybe registered in their own country, but definitely does not have any sort of U.S. bank account or anything like that. It allows a, a, a U.S. foundation to support those groups. And when they provide that, that determination that you, yes, you are equivalent to a U.S.-based charity, that means that that, that local group can, can receive money from anywhere. Uh, so it's useful, again, just to see what are the other tools that you can offer. There's also um, a you know, you have to be able to solicit and act on feedback. And that again, comes back to the level of trust, which is where kind of trust-based philanthropy gets its name. 
you have to build up these conversations, you build up these relationships so that the grantees and your partners can give you honest feedback about how you're doing. And you need to be able to respond to what they're saying. And I think the philanthropies in particular that are leading the way right now, both in addressing systems change and in just driving the thinking on philanthropy in general are the ones who are being serious about, about how, how do we do this over the long term and how do we build the trust and the relationships that are needed to sustain this work. Thank you, Jesse, and thank you so much for, um, you know, just touching on the relevant points that will enable, you know, both the donor and, and the implementers, you know, work better um, to break down barriers, trust issues, and just really simplify the process. You know, when you were speaking, I just, I saw myself in almost every every um, example that you gave because APF is a nonprofit, you know, even though we're a network of philanthropists, we have to apply for grants. We have to wait to hear back from a funder. And I know what it, you know, that wait period can be nail biting. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm totally familiar with the equivalent, um, equivalency determination <laughs> process. Yeah. You know, so um, it's uh, awesome that you touched on, on those points and the fact that you know, donors are also looking at, you know, all these um, nuances and, and, and how to ensure that we have a seamless process. So um, as we get to the end of this, I have just one more question, which is really around um, back to systems change itself and the fact that, again, it's a new concept, especially in the African philanthropy space. Uh, we're just beginning to socialize members of our network to the idea of systems change, to demystify systems change. For those who are looking to get into the space and, and support systems change orchestrators or leaders, what would you, what advice do you have for them? Mm. Well, I would say first, it's very important to be to not to be systems driven, but systems enabled. And what I mean by that is that never forget that systems are made of people. <laughs> and we in particular have often fallen to the trap of looking at an entire system and forgetting that human beings are at the center of it. That the, that the dynamics we are seeing are caused by people. Um, people that have, and so, you know, a systems lens helps us to better understand the complexity of, of where we're working and, and, and what we're seeking and, and, you know, what change is, 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 is hopefully going to happen. Uh, and it informs and affects decisions on how to adapt effectively, but it can be dehumanizing if you're not careful. Um, you know, we have to recognize that systems are made of people and that there's a complex web of human relationships that has the potential to harm or enhance or heal and, and solve very, very complex problems. So we approach our decisions based on how individuals have to live their lives, you know, and, and I think one of the things and we have this up on our wall in our offices is about honoring the spirit of Ubuntu, you know, I am because we are and just acknowledging that and recognizing the shared humanity that we have. And even when you're engaging with somebody who has completely diametrically opposed views as you do. At the end of the day, they are human. And, and so how do we engage them on that level? Not to be viewed as an enemy, but as someone to potentially build a relationship with to achieve a common goal together. 
And it's very, very hard to do that uh, in, 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 on, in, on multiple levels. Uh, but I think one of the things in particular, and I can maybe end on this, is, is when we remember that systems are made out of people, uh, we also get to engage on what is it that people need to achieve the change they want to achieve. And this is where philanthropy comes into play. And I think there's a lot of conversation right now on, on moving away from the, the dependency on, on donors and really focusing on sufficiency. You know, like, do you have enough around you, whether it be you know, local resource mobilization or just relationships with people who have knowledge that you don't? I, I was on a, a webinar the other day uh, that was, um, uh, Put on by by Waxi, the uh, you know West African um, civil society group, and and they someone was talking about how so many you know so many African cultures have community support completely built in. You know this notion of looking externally is 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 a foreign concept. That's that you know the, this this woman was giving an example of when she went to school. It wasn't just her parents that were paying her school fees. It was the entire community was pitching in for her, and. And, and she was posing the, the, the question, how can we build that in to the work that's happening to shift power away from, from Western donors and, and kind of the, the and, and philanthropies and shift the power to those that are closest to the communities. And I thought that was really profound to, to start to move away from dependency and start to look at how do we, how do we shift the overall behaviors, how do we shift the attitude towards those that are closest to, to the issue? Um, and I think for us, again, that's coming back to what are human beings doing to make their lives better? So don't see the system as just a system, but see it as the collective of people that it is, people that can help, people that can hurt. Um, but at the end of the day, there's always potential to heal and to solve. And so I think that that's that's my that's my parting advice. That is a perfect parting. You know, coming back to our shared humanity, and I love the fact that you you touched on Ubuntu. You know, I am because we are, um, and also the fact that we are communal in Africa. I always say that um, philanthropy is not a new concept in Africa. Every African gives and it takes a village to raise a child. Mm. Thank you so much, Jesse. Thank you. This was so wonderful. And I just, I appreciate all the work that, that APF does. Uh, you have been such a valuable resource to us. And I just, I can't thank you enough for what you have done and what you continue to do. So thank you. Great. Thank you for the kind words. Of course.